spend some moments in silence before uh, we preach. And the reason why we do that is because we think that preaching is a spiritual act, wherein uh, we come into contact, spiritually speaking, with the God of the universe. And so I want us to pay attention to uh, what we're doing here by uh, spending some moments in silence. You pray silently while I pray with the mic. So uh, let's, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have come to be present with us today. And so much of our lives are uh, busy or we're distracted, and yet you call us back to the work that you've been doing before the foundation of the world was made. And you put this plan, this great story, uh, and you encoded it with not only in creation, but in our very hearts as human beings to let us know that you're in the business of bringing dead people back to life. And what's so terribly difficult to believe about that is when we experience the pain in our own lives or the death of family members and friends, and we see them go under, under the ground, we see the loss of, of life where the soul and body are separate, and we know deep in our, in our soul that this is the state of every human being without you. This is what happens when human beings turn away from you. And Lord, that nature is in all of us. But thanks be to God. Thanks to you, Lord. You have saved us from ourselves. And so I pray uh, for myself, for uh, your dear people in this room, your dear people listening, that we would get a, a small taste of the beauty of the gospel this morning, that you would renew our spirits and that you would help us to walk in light of what you have done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Welcome to those of you who may be uh, new to Redeemer. Again, my name is Matt Odom, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Labor Day weekend. Uh, Today, we are discussing the question, uh, what is salvation? And when, when you're converted to Christianity, many times people think when you become a Christian, it's sort of like a change of mind or like a sort of a, a different disposition that you have uh, in your heart at that point. But, but the scriptures talk about what it means to, to convert to Christianity is like a transformation of your, your entire being. Jesus himself even said it's like being reborn. 
And in the original, it says it's, it's like being born from above. And uh, our passage today is one of the most clear passages to explain what is it that actually happens to a human being when they are saved, when they are brought from death to life. And we're going to look at that under, under these three points. They're very uh, simple in, in very many ways, but salvation is being brought out of death Salvation is being brought to life, and salvation is living in light of that new reality. Now, the number one way this manifests itself on the surface of a human's life is that the the moment that you're saved and you believe in it, that you're saved by grace through faith, is that pride and boasting begins to cease. It begins to stop. And what that means is that your focus and your attention of your very life gets shifted away from what you're doing and what you're thinking about most often, and it gets shifted onto God and what he's been doing and is currently doing in the world and in your life. That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Point one, salvation is being brought out of death. uh, Verses one through three. Look at your text there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. And that's ironic, right? You're dead, but you're walking, walking dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then notice the pronoun here. He he shifts it and goes first person plural, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, In chapter one, Paul gets us to the gospel by taking us up to the heights of heaven. In chapter two, he gets us to the gospel by taking us down into the depths. Okay, and that's what he's doing here in the first three verses. And verse one says that you were and he's talking primarily to the Gentiles right there. Most of us in this room will be Gentiles. He says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It doesn't say that you were in a bad place. It doesn't say that you were depressed for a season. It doesn't even say that you needed to make a change in your life or you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. Many people think becoming a Christian is like you're drowning in some water. And then at the very last moment, like God throws you a life vest and you're gulping water and you almost go under. But you're safely brought into the boat and now you're saved. And that's not the picture here in Ephesians. The picture that Paul is showing us is more like you are dead at the very bottom of the ocean and like very dead. And God comes down and what he does is that he scoops you up and he divinely resuscitates you. Um, He supernaturally makes you come alive. Um, There's this picture in the book of Ezekiel one of my favorite pictures in, in the scriptures where Ezekiel is told to preach to a field of dry bones. It's like an ancient graveyard. And so he starts preaching to these bones. And then all of a sudden there's a, a wind that comes and starts rattling the bones and a flesh comes onto the bones. And then these bones become alive like real living people. That's the gospel. That's what's going to happen to all those who know Jesus. Now, when I was in seminary, a famous professor would have his preaching students go preach 
to graveyards to prove this point. That's what's here in this passage, that it's only God who can make people alive. No matter how good of a preacher you are, no matter how articulate you are, it's only God that brings people from death to life. Now, here's the very interesting thing about being dead, spiritually speaking. You don't know it. And on top of this, truly being dead, according to the Bible, can feel a lot like you are quite alive. In verse 2, I'm getting that from verse 2. There are three things that characterize a dead person. They are A, walking. B, they're walking following the course of this world. The prince of the power of the air. The the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. Now that is uh, another way of saying they're following a being named Satan. Now I know many of us are... Well, all of us are modern people in here. (laughs) And uh, many of us have a hard time wrapping our brains around the fact that there's a being uh, named Satan. And and, uh, what what I want to convey to you this morning is that this life does not look nearly as evil on the surface as you would imagine. This uh, type of dead life is characterized by living in the passions of your flesh And your flesh is a word in the Bible that simply means that part of you, that part of your nature that sets itself up in opposition to God. And that exists within every human being, whether you go to church or you don't, whether you're secular or religious. There's a there's a fleshly part of us that that wants nothing to do with God. And that doesn't go away until you physically die. And these passions or the lust of the, pl- uh, of the flesh have a religious manifestation. Paul talks about that a lot. He says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I did it all. I was the most righteous person you'd ever seen. And it also has a secular manifestation. But both the religious and secular manifestation of following your flesh has two things that guides it. It's following the lusts of your body which the body is always wanting more, always wanting to please itself and following the desires of your mind. That you're tempted in your physical body and in your mind to go against God. That that's what it means to be the walking dead. This is why sin is so dangerous to everybody. Because on the surface, sin feels so good. And it makes so much sense. But you can always detect this way of of life that actually leads to death and how it leads you to become a wrathful person. Verse 3. Do you find yourself demonizing other people? Looking down on other people. That's how you detect the nature of the flesh. And Christianity comes along and says with with every person that there is a drive within yourself to place yourself above other people. And what's underneath that instinct is a failure to believe the gospel. Which is that God makes you alive no matter what you bring to the table. 
that you didn't have anything to do with it. Paul is saying that one of the main things we, we're saved from is the self-deception of our inner nature that exists all the time. It's always talking to us, always whispering to us. And th- this is, and you can know it's already at work in you right now. If you're thinking about somebody else's dysfunction and sin more than you're thinking about your own. If somebody else's face is like, yeah, I know, I know somebody like that. That's how it works. You know, the, uh, the ancient way of thinking about the devil and the angel on your shoulder, you know, you're like, you want to listen to the angel, you go the right way. Um, listen to the devil, you know, do the fun stuff. Uh, that's not the picture here in, in Paul's language. He, he says that there, there's a devil on your shoulder and then there's your actual fleshly nature. And when they get together, what begins to happen is it entraps a human being. And so what do we do? Uh, Dick Lucas said that it is the Christian. It is the Christian who feels the power of the devil in their life. Isn't that ironic? That is the Christian who knows the way of evil. More than the non-Christian. We uh, we get the gospel again from the depths here. And I want you to see how frightening this is not to unnecessarily scare you, but just because this is the nature of the world. This is the nature of our hearts. This is why the world is so broken. The world is so broken is because it's full of broken people. We are disjointed with nature. We're out of sync with our design. This is what Paul says that we are saved from, that part of us that wants nothing to do with God. And he rescues us. C.S. Lewis says that uh, it's only someone who's been saved that admits how this is the worst sin that they commit. Pride. Not sexual sin. It's not substance abuse. It's when I think I'm better than you. It's when I think I bring something to the table that would make God choose me. It's that part of me that's obsessed with myself. That wants nothing to do with this this type of God. C.S. Lewis said that uh, pride is the thing that the more we have of it inside of us, the more we despise it in other people. And it's very, very obvious to everyone except us. That's why it's so deadly. Now, as a, as a pastor, I mean, I, I've experienced this from the very, very early days, right, right out of seminary. Um, it's so much easier to preach the gospel to folks uh, with very obvious sins, you know, like the fun sins. Because they know that they're broken. They know that they can't get a handle over it themselves. And it, what, what it does, that makes them humble. Because they say, I was once dead. And it's clearly obvious. I don't have any control over myself. And by no power within myself, God made me alive. The boastful person says, I'm self-made. I get, I get what I deserve. I've earned this. The church is full of people like that. Are you dead? How would you know? 
The first component of salvation is, is really feeling the weight of being brought out of yourself and being brought out of death. And the beautiful part about Christianity is that you never get over it. You, you know, you're so you're so overwhelmed with what happened in your life that you begin to say, like Paul, if there's anything good in me, it's not me, but it's Christ in me. It's like I'm sort of like, you know, schizophrenic. You know, I, I if, if I do something good, it's clearly the work of God. If I do something bad, it's like that's kind of like my nature. Yeah, that's about right. You ever um, you never have a feeling like you've arrived if you're a Christian. There's always more work to do because that sinful nature needs to be killed. Now, okay, look, that's, the, that's super bad news, okay? You didn't come here to be, to be depressed, right? Um, that's why verse 4 exists. Ver, uh, my old pastor used to say that the most beautiful word in the Bible was but. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You have been brought into life if you are saved. What are the characteristics of somebody who's been brought in? Look at verse 6. What are the characteristics says that you have been raised with Christ and you have been seated with him. You English majors out there, what are those, what, what's the tense of those verbs? Past tense. This stuff is already done. You know what that means? That means that your resurrection from the dead is more sure than you waking up tomorrow. That wherever Christ is, you are. That whatever he's done, you've done. And that you're so tied to Jesus. Paul is speaking of us as if we're literally doing and being the same things that Jesus is doing and being. And that we're right by God right now. And if there's a part of you, even right now, in your soul that says, I, I, think, I think that might be true. That's the Holy Spirit saying, this, that's where you belong that's where you're headed. That's what you've been brought into. And this means that Jesus represents all Christians. He's your representative. Here are a few questions to help you figure out if you understand Christianity right now. What makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian? Is it, is it because you do good things? Is it because you go to church? Are you a Christian because you care for the people around you? Are you a Christian because you're a raised Christian? Here's what Paul is saying. You're a Christian because God wanted to give you life. Why did he do that? No one knows. He just simply wanted to. Grace means unmerited favor, which means that you get something that you don't deserve. If I make a 50 on my physics exam and you make a 100 and I erase your name, on the top of your paper and erase mine on the top of mine and I put your name on my paper and my name on your paper and we turn it into the teacher and the teacher hands it back and I get the 100 and you get the 50, that's Christianity. That's grace. Let's just all be honest and say that ain't fair. 
right? It ain't fair for the person who made the 100. The only people that love grace are the ones who didn't do anything and bring anything to the table to begin with. Oh, that's hard for us, isn't it? If I'm in debt to you, I want to pay you back, quick, so you don't have anything over me. That's not how it is when we come to God. You can't pay him back. That you feel in the truest, deepest sense that you're spiritually poor, but God made you rich with his mercy. That's why he says, my mercy is like becoming rich, wealthy. That's what Paul is saying, by our very nature, we want to pay for salvation. We want to earn grace. That's what the Bible calls boasting. And it's very subtle. God stepped in and he took our 50 and he gave us a 100 so that one thing becomes very, very, very clear. It's only God that can make dead people live. Uh, I once tried to bring a friend back through resuscitation. And it didn't work. And it became a metaphor for my life in so many ways. And I often imagine God tapping me on the shoulder while I'm doing that. You want some help? Doesn't seem to be working. That's the picture in Ezekiel. That's the picture here in our passage. And it has become a, a metaphor in my life that, you know, you, you can't do it. You can't be enough for people. You can't get there in time. What is that for you in your life? What are you, what are you trying to do to, to bring something back to life that you know you can't? You can't do it. The, the message here is this. It is only the work of God that is truly effective for human beings. And that it's completely reliant on him to bring dead people back to life. There's all sorts of things in your life right now and in my life right now that we're trying really, really hard to accomplish. Trying really, really hard to do. Trying really, really hard just to be enough. And it ain't going to happen. And we think, you know, oftentimes we get really frustrated. But God, God wants to press your nose into that and say, figure out who I am and who you are. You can't do it enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't earn enough money. You're saved by grace through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's a work of God. What is faith? Faith, by definition, is something that you look through, not to. What matters is the object of your faith. And what matters is what's seen through your faith. And what this passage is saying is that when you have true faith, you look to Jesus. Many of us think that salvation in Christianity is like this roller coaster and that when we're really down and depressed or in sin, those are the times when our faith is super weak. And when we're joyful and clapping, and, you know, like doing Christian things and that that's when our faith is strong. That's not Christianity. That's a treadmill. And that's like trying to resuscitate a dead corpse. True faith will always fluctuate. Many of us are concerned about the state of the church in the United, United States right now. 
It is very clear in Scripture that the commitment of the church will wax and wane throughout each culture and each age. But what has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ is done. He's not, he's not scared. He's not surprised at what's happening. He's not worried. He's not concerned. Because it's done. Salvation is accomplished. And God's people individually and collectively are in Christ forever. And the very gates of hell and Satan himself will not keep you in the grave. How do you know if your life is built on grace or if you're still trying really hard? Is there anybody in your life that you despise? Not just that you disagree with, but that you, you despise. Do you really need people on the outside of you to be a certain way in order for you to be happy? If how you're doing, if I ask you how you're doing, and how you're doing is so tied to how your work's going, is so tied to how your family is presenting itself publicly. You're trying to work. And Jesus says, I want you to rest. I want grace for you. I loved you before you did anything. You know, this all starts at such a young age. Mom, watch me do this. Dad, watch me throw this. Mom, watch me draw this. You don't have to teach your children how to do that. It's in their nature. They want to earn your love. And what you want to tell your kids over and over again is like, you don't have to earn my love. That's what Paul means when we're children by our very nature, children of wrath, always performing, never resting, never remembering that all of life is a gift. And God steps in with his rich mercy and says, you don't have to perform for me. Your performance stops with me. I am about grace. Jesus already did that. He performed for you, and what's his is yours. So a very common uh, question at this point in Christianity is like, well, if that's true, if it's already accomplished, if it's already done, there's nothing I can do to change it. Well, why don't I just live however I want to live? There's one pastor that says, if that's not the response of when the gospel is preached, you're probably not preaching the gospel. And that's why verse uh, 8 through 10 is in here in in 8 through 10. I'm just going to focus on verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you become a Christian, your motivation for doing good things completely changes. You're not struggling for freedom. You are set free to struggle. I've always um, liked the analogy of growing into an oversized jersey. As a metaphor for the Christian for the Christian life, if I put a LeBron James jersey on my children, which I have on multiple occasions, <laughs> praise God, <laughs> they have to grow up into that reality that I've placed on them. That's what it means to grow up in, into Christ. Let's say the jersey that's on your back says Jesus Christ, and God places that on you on the day of your conversion. All the growing, all the changing that takes place throughout your life is covered by that jersey. 
And even when you are fully grown and you fill out the jersey, he's still your representative. Though you've changed a lot, your status with God never, ever changed from day one. Still the same. That means that the good works that you are called to do in this life should not be seen as a way to get God to like you, but the way to to become who you truly are. The Bible talks about us, y'all, as being sort of ghost-like right now. Phantoms. And that when we, this is in the passage, when we participate in the works that God's created for us to do, we participate in our resurrection. That means we participate in becoming our true, solid, eternal selves. That's why when you pray and you feel very connected to God, you're like, that. I just tapped into something that's different than the transient world that I usually experience. It's because, it's because you're, coming, you're becoming yourself. That's how the scriptures speak of us uh, as doing the works that God's created us to do. We become little pieces of art that God has, wants to put on display in the world. God created us in such a way that when we find our deepest joy in him, we actually begin to willingly choose him after salvation. Uh, practically speaking, what this might mean is that, you know, if, if when you thought about, like, I actually do, like, I actually do have a hard time just despising this person. Well, what good works would mean is, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray every day that God would pour his blessing out on that person. That's hard for me to love. Practically speaking, it, it could mean, you know, if you get really anxious when you get on your phone, you look at social media all the time, and you know it's not doing any good for you, what, what if you just stop that for the entire month, and instead of looking at that, you, you opened Ephesians, and you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to, like, think about what God says about me and the world, and that's what I'm, I'm going to have dominate my mind. I don't know what the good word, it could be doing your homework. That's, a, that's one, if you're a student, that's one way you can love your teachers. Turn your homework in on time. You're created for God's workmanship. Be timely. I don't know what it is for you, but you do. And the people closest to you do. And Paul is saying, after we have been saved, this is what happens. We find out who we are in the service of God and others. And you guys know this, the very best joys in this life came to us seemingly by accident. Joy is something that comes when you're not looking for it. It's a byproduct of service. There's one day back, back in my former ministry that stands out to me almost more than any other day. And it was a Sunday. I had probably said yes to too many things, but I got up early. I taught a Sunday school class. I preached a sermon. I was tired at that point. Afterwards, this guy uh, needed a ride from the airport. He never really came to church very often, but he wasn't shy about asking for favors. And so I went and got him from the airport, drove him home. Then I taught a, a former student um, how to drive. And this was by far the worst driver I've ever met in the history of the world. I almost died like six times. And we were in a parking lot and there was no cars in sight. And, just like, and he, got, he got his license. I don't, whoever tested him should get fired because that was terrible. And so by the time uh, that, that finishes up, it's about 6 p.m. And I get home and I'm just like, I just want to watch some NFL football. Like, that's all I want to do today. I sit down and I get a call from another friend who needs some tire help and he's lost on the side of the road. And, and uh, so I go help him. 
and I finally get to my bed around 9 p.m. And here is the thought that, and, and this is what stands out to me. When I laid down, I thought I was going to be more bitter and frustrated than I was. And then I began to think, I'm actually, I, I guess the way to describe it is like, I feel very full. I would even say I felt happy. I never remember feeling that full after watching six hours of NFL football on a Sunday. God didn't allow me to watch football. He didn't allow me to do what I wanted to do that Sunday. And yet I had so much joy. Now, look, uh, nothing against football. um, Nothing against having boundaries in your life. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Um, this is what I, this is what I want, to, want to tell you. Good works is a part of your salvation, not in terms of you being declared right with God, but in terms of you receiving the joy of your salvation, of you being the human being that God created you to be. It's like putting gas in the car instead of water in the car. And God says, do what I've asked you to do, not because you, you're trying to get something from me, but just because this is who you are. You work better when you do what I say. And you actually have joy. Here, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm your pastor, right? Uh, it's easy to spiral today. It's easy to ride the wave of your mood and think that that in some way is connected to how God views you. It ain't. How God views you is eternally solid and won't change. You can't even make it change. And here's what I want you to try for this month. Um, Read the book of Ephesians every day. Is anything else working for you? Why not try this? God's not depending on you for that, for your salvation, for you to practice that. But what he wants for you is joy. And he knows that he's the source of it. So come to him. Salvation is being brought out of death. It's being brought to life. And salvation is the joy of living into that new reality. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to continue to worship him with the confession of sin and, and these sacraments. Father, we thank you so much. For this day where we celebrate your resurrection power and you raise again on so let us give ourselves in sacrifice.
love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We want to love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We want to love like you, love like you.